Father, we pray as we come to consider your word now together that you'll help us to continue to worship your name and that we here and the children next door would learn more of the power of your word even in uh, the opposition that faces us. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat, everybody. Kids can head out to our program now. The guys will be there to meet you. Good morning. I'm Kieran. It's my pleasure to welcome you to City Church this morning. We're carrying on in our series in Acts, and this morning we are in Acts chapter 12, and you'll find that on page 920, page 920, and we're going to be thinking about how God's word is unstoppable, even in the context of, of opposition this morning. If you're all there, we'll read it, page 920. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And when he'd seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and didn't find him, 
he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. The people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And so reads God's word. Certainly not a boring account by any means. Jailbreaks and worms and all sorts. And this summary that we read in verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. That's the big theme in this chapter of, of opposition. And in the opening five verses, I want us to think through what it means to keep opposition in perspective. Opposition to being a Christian is not something you need me to describe to you. If it is, you are a person of faith you know what it is to experience people who oppose that, who oppose you personally, who perhaps do so on your course or in, or in your workplace or within your, your family. And we have seen, I think, in, in Irish culture in the last five years, an increase in opposition to standing for, for Jesus, to saying you're a Christian. And at an international level, there is an intensifying of persecution that the church is experiencing. How do you keep that kind of opposition in perspective when perhaps there could even be imprisonment down the line uh, legally, even uh, coming into law rather, for those who speak for the truth? And this chapter as a whole show us, shows us that God's word is unstoppable no matter what the opposition happens to be, and it helps us to keep opposition in perspective. And the opposition we read about in the first five verses is intense, it's hardcore. James is murdered, and Peter is then put in prison, likely to meet the same faith. I mean, can you imagine the emotions that that would stir in you and in, in your local church? If, if that had happened, if you'd lived through that, it would be easier perhaps to believe in the idea that God's word is unstoppable if you're in the previous chunk of the book of Acts where revival seems to be breaking out and people are becoming Christians all over the place. But when James has been murdered and when Peter has been taken from you and into prison, you'd be inclined to ask yourself, is, is this the end? How do you keep that kind of thing in perspective? How do you get past a crisis like that? What do you do when those in power are seeking to snuff you out completely? You need to keep opposition in perspective. That's what this chapter is doing, as we saw at the end. Despite this opening, 
the word of God increased and multiplied. So no power can stop the advance of God's word. Now, there is a, an element in which our experience of opposition now, personally, is unique in, in Ireland or whatever country we happen to come from here this morning. But it is not unique experience within the church as a whole, as we read about it here. This experience of the death of James and the imprisonment of Peter was incredibly hurtful for the church to, to, to experience. What a huge setback that was for them. What a deep, vicious blow to them as Christians and to the church. And fair enough, you might not experience something like that personally, but come 9 a.m., Tomorrow, perhaps maybe some of you guys are only getting up at nine o'clock, whatever time it is that you meet other people. It could be 11 for I don't know. But whenever you're, you're, you're in your day and you have this atmosphere of opposition, there are opportunities aplenty for us to experience this, these blows to our faith, whether it's from a political system or, or closer to home with a colleague or a fellow student or a family member. And this chapter is giving us an advance warning to keep opposition in perspective, wherever it is it is emitting from, however hurtful it proves to be. And we are being told that whatever it is we encounter, it cannot stop the advance of the gospel. I mean, wasn't the murder of Jesus meant to destroy him and everything that he stood for? And it served to be the very means of advance of this message of the gospel. Now, you might have no time for this Jesus stuff. I'm not sure what your thinking is today. But have you considered how the opposition of the message seems to multiply it and advance it? Perhaps that might give you some food for thought as you look at and consider this person of Jesus and some pause. So God's word is unstoppable. And I want you to bank that and to keep opposition in perspective. James is gone. Peter is being guarded to the hilt in verses 1 to 5, yet the word of God multiplies and grows. God's word is unstoppable, so keep this opposition in perspective. Then secondly, God's word is unstoppable, so keep praying and celebrate rescue. Keep praying and celebrate rescue. I think even the most irreligious of us turn to prayer in a crisis. You know, the time when you know something is beyond your control or you're powerless against whatever it is that's facing you. And it's seen often in those scenarios as, as the last resort, you know, all we can do is pray. But both the devout and the skeptical, the irreligious, turn to prayer in a crisis. And in a way, it is good for us to see that there are some things that are beyond our control, some keys that we simply cannot turn, some things that only God can do. Now, of course, as a pastor, I'd be encouraging you to see more to prayer than just in the crisis points. But if you think about it, if God can help you in a crisis, if he can help with your life when something is beyond your control, well, he is able then, surely, to speak to all of your life. And he is powerful enough to interact with the reality of whatever it is you're encountering, whatever struggles you face, because he is able to connect to the mess of whatever is going on. 
And there is this war of two worlds going on in this crisis scenario. Peter's in prison in verse 5, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So you have the political and military might, Herod and all of the power at his disposal, versus prayer and the church. And it seems like an unfair match, but not if God is real, it isn't. And not if he is there to respond to it, it's not. Now, having already read this chapter to you, your mind might be going ahead and thinking, so am I expected to believe that if I pray hard enough in the middle of opposition as an individual, if I do enough, if we as a church do enough, well, then we'll be free from everything that opposes us and we'll be free, released from whatever it is imprisons us. You know, we will all have a miraculous escape. Well, that idea might create some temporary spiritual high among you, might, but if it did, it would swiftly be followed by a spiritual slump when you resign yourself to that either being unbelievable or undoable. Well, I'm not going to conclude that. The context tells you otherwise because the, James is dead. There was no escape for him. And it would be entirely wrong to assume that the church just started to pray after that happened. They were praying when all of the opposition was in front of them. And James was not released. But it says a lot about their character that despite the death of James, they still prayed earnestly for Peter and for the crisis scenario they were in. And you don't do that without deep conviction about the reality of who God is. And so these church members kept praying in the face of grief and ongoing opposition, and they had no clue of what would happen next. There's nothing here about them being tipped off about Peter's release or having knowledge of some kind of inside job. They didn't have any particular expectation. And what follows is a spectacular and fairly comical account you can just imagine them all retelling it months later over a glass of wine, maybe, about what had happened. So you have this unexpected visitor, an angel for Peter, who's guarded up to the hilt, and he gives Peter this dig on the side in verse 7. It seems that Peter is of the deep sleeping variety because the angel has his job worked out for him, and he has to speak to him three times, get up, dress yourself, Wrap your cloak around you. You can imagine the angel saying, look, what, what? You want me to walk? Carry you out as well? Let's get going. You know, move it. Get your clothes on. Let's get out of here. And isn't it incredible that Peter was sleeping so soundly, considering he was on, he was on death row? But he wasn't aware, actually, that what was happening was, was real. Because he, we're told in verse 9, he thought he was seeing a vision seen visions before and he thought this was another one and it wasn't until they had passed the first and second guard and come to the iron gate that opened in front of them and Peter was left alone in verse 11 that he realized that the Lord had sent this angel and rescued him from the hand of Herod and so he gives God, God the glory for this rescue the church keeps praying and Peter is thanking God for the rescue he's experienced at the Lord's hand. Now I know, I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. 
So yes, there was cause and effect in the sense that fervent prayer and this miraculous escape go side by side. It is a magnificent rescue and a spectacular answer to prayer, but we'd be missing something. We would be missing something rather if we thought that this wasn't an incentive to pray, but we would be missing more if we concluded that every crisis should end in this way. Because James was just as faithful as Peter. James dies. Peter is released. There's mystery to that. One we can't understand. But we keep praying in the context of opposition, in the knowledge that God's word is unstoppable, whatever the outcome happens to be. And it's up to him how he answers those prayers for us in that crisis. It's up to us to have faith in him, whether it is the outcome is that of James or the outcome of that of Peter. Because in both, God is always in control, always multiplying his word, always powerful, attentive, and active. He's just as active in the execution as he is in the escape. And his word is growing, multiplying. And so we keep praying. What is it you, we ought to be praying for? Well, I think it's good and right that we pray what we're released from political persecution when we're preaching the word, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's right to pray for the persecuted church around the world that they too would have that lifted. But it is also right to earnestly pray that we would respond in faith to whatever the outcome God sees fit to be. That we would still trust him in that. To ask him that we would hold on to the bigger certainty of his word going forward when opposition comes. Whether the outcome is a spectacular release or the extreme of death. The comedy factor continues in verses 12 to, to 17 when it proves a lot easier to get out of prison than it is to get into your friend's house. He, he can't get in. He, he knows where they are, they are, all his friends in the church are, where many are gathered together and we're praying. And he knocks. And Rhoda, this, she must have been shocked and embarrassed about this afterwards, but she goes to the door. She recognizes his voice and she runs back in. And she forgets to let him in. So he's outside still. And... They all, you kind of think, well, goodness, it's so pious, isn't it, that they're all praying, isn't it incredible? What's the first thing they say to Rhoda? They say, you're nuts. There's a wonderful reality about it. You'll say, what? At least you're mad. And there's this kind of forward and back while Peter is still at the gates. He keeps knocking and they keep forwarding back with each other. You're out of your mind. It's his angel. You're out of your mind. It's his angel. And she keeps saying, no, he's there, he's there, I heard his voice. <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter is still on the outside. I'm sure if I asked you all, you could tell a story about an ordeal you had of being locked outside and throwing stones at a window or making phone calls or whatever. And Peter is still there just standing, waiting to be let in. He can't hardly shout his head off because he'll alert the whole place and the soldiers will find him again and he'll be sure to die. probably thinking maybe that angel just clocked out too soon. Why couldn't he have brought me in here if he'd brought me that far? 
But Peter continues, and eventually they open the door to him, and they saw him, and, and they're amazed. And he has to quieten them all down. Can you imagine all of the questions that they had, and everybody talking at one time? And he has to quieten them all down in verse 17, and he tells them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he wants it to be known. They were all amazed. They weren't expecting Peter to miraculously turn up at the door. It's obvious from their response. They thought it might be his angel, perhaps, but not actually him. And there are stories of Christians who've literally experienced spectacular escapes from all kinds of imprisonment, and they are worth celebrating. They celebrate this rescue, and that is good and right to keep praying and to celebrate rescue. But not all of us will experience something literally like this, but these, this experience of Peter's, it's gone into some of the most famous hymns that the church has sang to talk about how Jesus releases us from the imprisonment, literally, of our own sin. There's a famous song called, And Can It Be? And the words describe a release. It says, he left his father's throne above, in reference to Jesus, so free, so infinite, his grace emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. We're not all apostles. We haven't all been literally released from the clutches of Herod. But if it is we know Jesus, we can celebrate the rescue that his death has won for us. And the freedom that gives us from sin and from everything that imprisons us. That is what the Christian gospel celebrates. We celebrate the rescue of the cross of Christ every day. The Christian life is one of freedom and an invitation of rescue. And so look closely at this joyous account and see a picture of the freedom, the rescue that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings. So as we face opposition, let's keep praying and celebrate rescue, knowing that the word of God will continue to increase and multiply. And finally, in verses 20 to 24, whatever happens, give God the glory. Whatever happens, give God the glory. I saw on YouTube recently, uh, you know you get these top tens of all sorts of things. And there was top ten deaths of movie villains. Do you know, because we take this pleasure in seeing the bad guy taken out. And Herod is taken out in this section in quite spectacular and gory fashion and he's the kind of fellow who really likes the sound of his own voice and somebody who for whom power gave him ample opportunity to show just how great he was or thought he was 
he wasn't exactly Martin Luther King in his speeches, I don't think, I don't suspect, but he took this opportunity to give this great and wonderful speech. He's, and he's had some kind of argument, some kind of falling out with people that he's responsible for politically, the people of Tyre and Sidon. And so they, they sweet talk his, his PA of a kind, his personal assistant, Blastus, to, to try and sort out a peaceful arrangement because they needed his favor for, for food, literally. And so that agreement is made and Herod then has this opportunity to lap up the praise of the people and he puts on his, his royal robes, takes his seat upon the throne and he delivers this oration to them. And we're told by another historian at the time named Josephus how he was wearing this silver type thing which was shining in the sun and he just looked like a god. Or so they thought. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. I don't know whether they actually believed that or whether they were just trying to keep him sweet. But that is what they had said. That is what they were chanting and Herod loves it. He laps up the adoration and rather than giving the glory to God, he accepts it for him as a man and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. The angel delivers God's judgment. He goes from waxing lyrical to breathing his last. He goes from talking all about himself to breathing his last. His voice is silenced. Meanwhile, the voice of God rings out, increases, and multiplies. The tables are turned in this whole account. Herod is in a position of power at the start. He's killed James. Peter's imprisoned. Now at the end, Peter is released, Herod is dead, and the word of God increases and multiplies. And it's a sober warning that those who attempt to harm God's people will in the end face judgment themselves. Maybe not in the immediate sense or in a fashion as gruesome or spectacular as Herod encountered, but it will come in the end. And it is too a sobering encouragement for those in the receiving end of opposition. That there will be one voice that prevails. There will be one voice that resonates forever. And it will not be that of those who oppose God and his people. But it will be the word of God. That's what will remain audible and increase and multiply. Now Herod's death here may seem like something of a caricature and how it's presented to us. But it vividly reveals our own pomp and misplaced understanding of how we think of ourselves, our sense of our importance, our own sense of ruling ourselves. It's better, is it not, to get off the, the throne of self-rule and give God the glory that he alone is due. In this account, 
Are you recognizing the, the true voice of God in your life? Are you recognizing the true voice of God or are you giving glory to something or someone lesser? So whatever happens, whether it's opposition or rescue or both, give God the glory. Give God the glory. Recognize that it is Him who is enthroned and it is His word that you and I need to pay attention to. And it is His word which will continue eternally. So yes, the times we are in now are unique to us. The way the political map is changing is hard to keep up with. The heat is rising for us as, as a nation, as a country, as people wanting to serve Christ in an ever hostile environment. But the church has been through this and we can learn from what it is they have encountered, those who've gone before us. So keep praying and celebrate rescue and keep opposition in perspective. And whatever happens, give God the glory because his word is unstoppable. May that encourage you in Jesus' name. Amen.